welcome to the European Heart Journal Case Report Podcasts, Episode 3. I am Dr. Thomas Craven, Podcast Editor and Cardiology Registrar. In this podcast, I'm going to discuss a case report by Nicholas Zaza, Adriana Maria Posada, Mauricio Eduard Diaz and Daniel Izaza Restrepo. The authors are from Bogota, Colombia, and the case report is titled Cardiogenic Shock as the First Manifestation of Large Vessel Vasculitis in the Young Patient, a case report. Large vessel vasculitis involves the inflammation of large arteries, mainly the aortic arch and its branches, with the two classical causes being giant cell arteritis and Takayasu arteritis. The occurrence of large vessel vasculitis causing cardiogenic shock at presentation is rare and is presented in this case report. The case report. A 33-year-old woman presented to the emergency department with one-month history of asthenia, also known as lethargy. She was suffering with bouts of non-productive cough and chest pain. She was initially diagnosed with bronchitis and then discharged. Three days later, she represented with worsening, stabbing, pleuritic, non-radiating chest pain, which worsened on exertion and eased with rest. She was also suffering with exertional breathlessness and paroxysmal nocturnal dyspnea. On assessment in the emergency department, she was normotensive but tachycardic at 116 beats per minute. She had a normal respiratory rate and oxygen saturation of 98%. On examination, there was no audible murmur. She had fine bilateral crepitations in the lung bases and no peripheral edema. And the patient's ECG demonstrated a 2mm ST depression in the precordial leads. She was shown to have a positive troponin with a delta change from 0.06 to 2.25 nanograms per milliliter. Transthoracic echocardiography revealed a severely dilated left ventricle with midventricular and apical dyskinesia, creating severe left ventricular systolic dysfunction with an ejection fraction of 20%. There was severe functional mitral regurgitation, moderate functional tricuspid regurgitation with an estimated pulmonary systolic arterial pressure of at least 80 millimeters of mercury. The patient was admitted to coronary care but became hypertensive with a blood pressure of 86 over 54 and was diagnosed with cardiogenic shock. She was started an IV noradrenaline and being treated with an initial differential diagnosis of Takotsubo cardiomyopathy or myocarditis. The following day, the patient had a cardiac magnetic resonance scan. This demonstrated mild left ventricular dilatation with a left ventricular ejection fraction of 45%, with mild LV dilatation and severe segmental contractility abnormalities in the apical and mid-ventricular walls, with normal basal contractility. There was no myocardial fibrosis, oedema or scar seen, and after the cardiac magnetic resonance imaging, Takotsubo cardiomyopathy was deemed the more likely diagnosis. The patient had a coronary angiogram the following day for complete workup of Takotsubo cardiomyopathy, which showed a critical left main stem osteostenosis at 99%. The patient was rapidly transferred to the operating theatre and the critical stenosis was noted to have no atheromatous plaque present. The patient had a pericardial patch to widen the ostium of the left main coronary artery and surgical specimens were analysed by the pathology laboratory. Histopathology showed the vascular wall architecture to be distorted by fibrosis and have lymphoplasticitic inflammatory infiltrates and obliterative vasculopathy. This was deemed compatible with large vessel vasculitis. The patient was then diagnosed with Takayasu's arteritis as a result of the histopathology result, the arteries affected and the clinical picture. The patient was treated with prednisolone 50mg once a day, carvedilol 6.25mg twice a day, 
Phenalacryl 5mg twice a day and Spironolactone 25mg once a day, along with dual antiplatelet therapy. After four days, her repeat echocardiogram showed normal left ventricular systolic function. The patient was discharged and followed up two weeks later, at which point repeat imaging showed no further vascular compromise and the patient had clinically improved with no symptoms of chest pain. Now I'd like to move on to the discussion. To discuss this interesting case, I'm first going to provide some background into large vessel vasculitis. The two major classifications of large vessel vasculitis are Takayasu's arteritis and giant cell arteritis. Giant cell arteritis is not significantly associated with coronary artery disease, with a recent meta-analysis in 2015 showing no statistically significant increase in coronary artery disease risk with giant cell arteritis. As such, I will not discuss giant cell arteritis further. However, Takayasu's arteritis is associated with coronary artery disease as demonstrated by this case report. Takayasu's arteritis was first recognised in 1908 by a Japanese ophthalmologist, Dr. Takayasu, who noted a peculiar wreath-like arteriovenous anastomosis around the papillae of the ocular fundi in a young woman. Similar findings were noted in patients with absent radial pulses by his colleagues at the same conference. Takayasu's arteritis is a chronic granulomatous inflammatory arteriopathy of unknown origin that leads to both stenotic and ectatic changes in the arterial lumen, particularly occlusion within the aorta or its main branches. There is pulmonary artery involvement in around 50% of patients. Takayasu's arteritis typically presents with non-specific systemic signs and symptoms such as fever, fatigue, arthralgia, headaches, rashes, including erythema nodosum, and weight loss. The chronic inflammation of the aorta and its major branches, including subclavian, common carotid, coronary, pulmonary, and renal arteries, can result in localized stenosis, dilatation, aneurysm, or vascular occlusion. Coronary artery involvement was first recognized in 1951 by Frovic and Loken, and has been reported in up to 25% of cases, with the ostium or proximal segments of the coronary arteries most affected. Other coronary abnormalities can also occur, such as coronary artery to bronchial artery anastomosis, aneurysmal coronary ectasia, and combined anastomosis and ectasia. The most common symptoms in Takayasu's arteritis patients with coronary artery disease is typical angina. The Ishikawa diagnostic criteria was the first criteria created to assist in diagnosing Takayasu's arteritis. However, this classification is complex and often impractical in clinical practice. Therefore, the American College of Rheumatology Diagnostic Criteria was created from the assessment of 63 patients with Takayasu's arteritis and 744 control patients with other forms of vasculitis. It has six criteria, which if three out of the six are present, there is a 90.5% sensitivity and 97.8% specificity for diagnosing Takayasu's arteritis. The criteria are 1. Age less than 40 years at disease onset. 2. Claudication of the extremities, such as worsening exertional fatigue or discomfort of one or more extremity, especially the upper limbs. 3. Decreased pulsation of one or more brachial arteries. 4. Blood pressure difference greater than 10 millimeters of mercury, systolic blood pressure difference between both arms. 5. A brewery over either the subclavian artery or aorta. And 6. Angiographic evidence of arterial narrowing or occlusion of the entire aorta its primary branches or large arteries in the proximal upper or lower extremities. There are no specific laboratory tests to diagnose Takayasu's arteritis, hence 
the use of diagnostic criteria. The erythrocyte sedimentation rate, ESR, is raised in only around 40% of adults with Takayasu's arteritis. The CRP is often raised in Takayasu's arteritis and is associated with active disease with high results associated with a greater risk of thrombotic complications. The mainstay of treatment for Takayasu's arteritis is high-dose steroids. However, immunomodulatory drugs such as cyclophosphamide, methotrexate, azathioprine or infliximab are sometimes used in treatment-resistant cases. Now to go back to the case report. If we apply the diagnostic criteria to the patient in the case report, we can see she was indeed under 40 years of age. Unfortunately, she had a coronary angiogram as part of a full workup for Takatsubo's cardiomyopathy, which did show evidence of arterial occlusion. However, there was no other diagnostic criteria presented by the authors. This leads me to assume it either wasn't present or wasn't assessed, which would be understandable due to her atypical presentation. The patient's lethargy may have been due to underlying claudication. However, this case report highlights that assessing the remaining criteria of Takayasu's arteritis, specifically assessing for absent brachial pulses, subclavian or aortic bruise, and blood pressure differences between both arms, requires a level of clinical suspicion for Takayasu's arteritis. The patient's presentation was atypical for Takayasu's arteritis, as she presented with atypical chest pain, had normal inflammatory markers, and quickly developed cardiogenic shock. The atypical presentation is highlighted by a recent Chinese study, which is mentioned in the discussion section of this article, which I shall elaborate on further. In a study into Takayasu's arteritis by Sun et al., 587 patients with Takayasu's arteritis were reviewed, of which 7.7% had coronary artery disease. Of those patients with coronary artery disease, 89% suffered typical angina, and a third suffered a myocardial infarction. The ESR was elevated in 60% of patients and the CRP in 51%. 22% of the patients required percutaneous coronary intervention and 29% required coronary artery bypass grafting. In conclusion, this case report presented an atypical presentation of Takayasu's arteritis and highlights the importance of Takayasu's arteritis as a differential cause for proximal coronary artery disease in young patients, especially females and the need for a thorough diagnostic workup, as was required in this case, to confirm the diagnosis. Now I'd like to move on to learning points. This case report highlights how Takayasu's arteritis can cause proximal coronary artery disease, especially in young females, and thus should be a differential diagnosis in these patients. In this podcast, we've also discussed the American College of Rheumatology's criteria for diagnosing Takayasu's arteritis, and highlighted how a high degree of suspicion is needed to ensure it can be implemented. This includes ensuring subclavian and aortic breweries are oscillated for, blood pressure is checked in both arms, and brachial artery pulses are palpated bilaterally, as well as taking note of recent onset claudication in young patients. Thank you for listening to the European Heart Journal Case Reports podcast. Please visit the European Heart Journal Case Reports website at academic.oup.com forward slash EHJCR to read this case report in full and references used to create this podcast and view other interesting case reports. I hope you will listen to future episodes for more interesting cases. I have been Dr. Thomas Craven, and this music is Computer and Stationed.